I don't think many of us would have to think very hard or think very long before we could remember a moment we would really love to have back in our journey, right? Some of you read my column this week. One of those moments for me was down in Hartford, Connecticut. You know, we had just moved to Sterling, and I was doing some denominational work. This was back before the days of GPS and et cetera, and I was traveling down to an Hispanic church in Hartford, and um, I was having a hard time finding the church building, right? It was getting close to service time and et cetera, and and uh, so they had told me to look. I ca- called the guy, and, and, and he told me to look for the, the, a particular landmark. And so we're driving through the, I'm driving through, I'm look, tr- trying to look underneath this bridge. For, and, and just then the light in front of me changed. Went from green to red. And this little car in front of me stopped. And I had, I had just gotten this new used car. It was like six years old, right? But it was new to me. It was the favorite car I've ever had. It was a Saab 9000 CDE. I love that car. Whatever. You know, and, and, it, and by the time I glance back, I slammed on my brakes. My hood goes down. I go right underneath their bumper, give the people in front a good little shake, right? But it just destroyed the front end of my car because it didn't hit the bumper. It came right into the grill. And, and I was thinking, I would love to have those five seconds back, right? I had coffee with a, with a pastor this week, and, and he'd been out of commission for almost three months because he walked out of his house with his hands full, not really paying attention, and he slipped on the ice and broke his ankle, right? And he was like, you know, it's like, I'd love to have those five seconds back, right? Anybody know those kind of moments, right? You know, and, and there's, we have lots of those. We'd love a do-over, right? Just Let me just replay the tape. Let's do these five seconds, ten seconds over again. And we usually don't always get those do-overs. I, I, I was, you know, the, your memory is, the things that sear in your memory that you can't get rid of and torment you, right? You know, one of those is uh, from... From my high school football experience, you know, uh, I played over at, at Lincoln Severy High School, and and I and, and I, I played football all four years, but I really wasn't a starter on the varsity until I was a senior. When I was on the team as a junior, you know, the kid in front of me at tight end and at defensive end, we both played the same positions on both sides of the ball, was a captain. So when the captain is ahead of you, you don't play at all, right? So and then, but my senior year, I'm playing, and I think we were playing playing um, Acton Boxborough, but I don't know this for sure. But the quarterback gets in the huddle, and he says to me, he said, "Neil, don't don't trip, don't fall down. You're going to be wide open." And they call this play for me to run a flag pattern, right? And so, you know, it was the only time all season he said to me, "Don't get knocked down, don't trip," right? You know, sure enough, I get off, move, and, and I trip over a linebacker's foot. And I look up, and I see the ball landing, and there's nobody within 20 yards of it. You know? And if I had been out there, shh, off. You know? and, and so I'm begging on the sidelines, call the play again. And I didn't get a do-over. Right? You know, just no do-over. You know? and, and, and so you know, we have those kind of moments, right? But one of the things that we have learned in the last few weeks is that God really has given us an opportunity for a do-over in our relationship with him and the way we live life before him. I mean, that's what we learned, especially last week at the conclusion of our series of Journey to the Empty Tomb. We, we, we looked at the fact that Easter changes everything, right? Say that again with me. Easter changes everything. Changes who we are. Changes how we get to live. Gets to change where we're going when this life is over. Easter changes everything. And so God gives us this do-over. But what I think many of us find is that when we, we, when we embrace this do-over, we don't necessarily know how to make it work, right? 
You know, we, we know God has given us this new us, right? We're a totally different person. You know, we have a new identity with God. A new, we, we, we can live life totally different because we don't have to earn anything anymore. We just have to receive what God has given us by faith. And yet we find living life by this do-over is pretty hard. Or to put it another way, it's not really instinctive to us to live our lives by grace. And that is the new relationship we have with God is based on grace. So I want to spend a couple of weeks for us talking about what does it really mean for us to live our lives by grace. And, and I want to start today with something that might be, it's, it's definitely going to be 100% counterintuitive. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's very difficult for us to learn how to live our lives by grace. And Because he, here's my first point for us. In order for you and I to learn how to live our lives by grace, is we have to be willing to be confronted by and convicted by and overwhelmed by our sin. What? I mean, we're supposed to be talking about living by grace, right? This is all supposed to be kind of, you know, pushed aside, doesn't matter anymore. No, the very first step for us of learning how to live our lives by grace is to be confronted by overwhelmed by, defeated by, burdened by, whatever term you want to use, but we just have to feel the full weight of our sinfulness before God and then experience the depth of God's forgiveness that goes with it. Now, I'm not making this stuff up, right? I can justify this biblically, and that's what I'd like to do in just the next few minutes. If you have your Bible, would would you turn with Luke chapter 7 with me, please? And if if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a Bible underneath your chair or close by or, you know... um, don't be afraid to reach over to the, to the row in front of you or whatever, but grab a Bible, and if you're using one of the Bibles that we have for you here in your chairs, this, the text today is on page 875. And, and this is a text that supports the idea that it is only as you and I are burdened by and truly appreciate the weight of our sinfulness and then experience God's forgiveness for that, that we actually develop the capacity to live with his grace. So this is an event or an experience out of the life of Jesus. I want to start with the 36th verse. And Jesus is in a general teaching ministry in, in the northern part of the country. He's had some stuff, had some conversations going on about John the Baptist before this. But, but we don't necessarily think that this was immediately right after that. But we pick up with verse 36. What I want to do is read through 36 through the end of the chapter. And then I want to come back and, and um, fill in some pieces for us. You know, let it, let it come to life. Get it into 3D. And then I want to make some observations for us from the text. So then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. So he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. We would use the word perfume. And stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee, who had invited this, he said to himself, so this is an inner conversation, right? It's not coming out loud. 
maybe he's wearing it on his face, right? But, but he's not saying it out loud. He says, this man, if he were a prophet, he's talking about Jesus, would know who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him that she's a sinner. So his thought is, you know what, if Jesus was a real deal, he'd know who this woman is and he wouldn't have anything to do with her. So Jesus replied to him, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, some of your texts may say rabbi, said, say it, spit it out, teach it. So Jesus tells a, a really short parable. It says a creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the, other, and, the, and the other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, the, he graciously, this being the creditor, forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? And Simon said, well, I, I suppose the one he forgave more. He says, you've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why. She loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The principal proportion. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those were at the table with him began to say to them among themselves, who's this? Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that phrase, go in peace, let me interpret it for us as live by grace. Live by grace. So let's back up and, and just bring the story to life just a little bit. Jesus is an is a itinerant teacher. His, his popularity, his notoriety is growing, right? He's had some moments here where, where he's done some miracles, he's drawn crowds, and he's those kinds of things. And so he comes into this town and... And the leading figure in the community invites him to dinner. We don't know why Simon invited him. Some have speculated that, you know, he, he brought him in because he, 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 he was a follower of Jesus. He, he thought Jesus was a real deal. And so his statement a little later said, well, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, was kind of disappointing to him. But, but I think the flavor of the text, the fact that he didn't show Jesus any of the normal courtesies, that a respected guest would have got. He didn't, he didn't offer any water to wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't put any oil on his head. That, that, you know, there was, the typical custom of the day was when you, in, and it, when you received a guest, a special guest into your home, you would help wash their feet. You provide water for them to pour in their feet and, and, and clean their feet. You would, you, would, you would greet them with a kiss. And then, because Israel can be really hot during the day, at night you kind of smell bad. Right, so they would just put a little bit of perfume on their head, kind of thing, to just make them smell a little better. Right, you know, make dinner smell a little bit better. Right, and so, and and none of these things were done. So you get this idea that he didn't really have a, re- a lot of respect for Jesus. Right, some might think that he was he was just invited him because he wanted to trap him 
And certainly Jesus kind of provided some of that by the end when he says, you know, your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. So Jesus is claiming to be God, right? And, and that's heresy, as they would see it. That's blasphemy, as they see it. But Jesus isn't arrested out of this. There isn't a big deal made out of that. And he actually calls him teacher or rabbi earlier. So there's some kind of in there. I get the impression that, that Simon, being the big wig in town, was like, you know what? I want to meet all the rising celebrities. You know, it's, it's just, I, you know what? I, I have the influence to get him to come to my house. It'd be great to just have him come and, and just... And, and kind of collect them as a trophy I can put on the wall. He turns out to be anybody. I can say, hey, you know what? He ate at my house, right? And so, he, he, so in comes Jesus to this dinner, and he comes. And, and there were others who were gathered there. And, and, you know, some of you are aware of the fact that the way they ate, and often in those days, the homes were built are like around a courtyard. So you'd kind of have like a, a, a gate in the front, and then the house would take, and the get, courtyard in the middle would be open. And, and in the warmer weather, especially the warmer evenings, they would eat outside, and there would be a low table, and they would kind of lie on a pillow with, on their left side with their feet sticking out before them, and they would kind of eat from the table, right, you know? And it's one of the reasons why you should eat in your recliner. You just lie a little bit on your left side, and, and then kind of think so... I'm in trouble again, all right, and, and um, you know, and so, but they, these kind of dinners were often like public events, so Simon certainly would have invited some of his other cronies from town, and they're in the journey, whatever, but, but other people could come and kind of be in the peanut gallery and, and hear what was going on, they didn't participate in eating the meal, but they could hear what was going on, and so in comes this woman who is, by everybody's opinion, including her own, a sinner. And she comes up to Jesus and she stands behind him and, 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 and she's, she's just weeping. Now we don't know exactly why. From the earliest days of after the scriptures, the earliest preachers that we have record from, those who were closest to the action and heard the eyewitness accounts said that she was a prostitute. And that, and that somehow in this journey, she had recognized in Jesus the opportunity to turn over a new leaf, live by grace, and reconnect with God. And, and she comes in and she's just so overwhelmed with the opportunity that she has to, to kind of have her whole life stage translated, transformed to something else, that she is just overwhelmed with emotion and she's just crying. Right? And then, and then she does what, what no woman did in public, is she unbound her hair. Women in those days always kept their hair bound up, and only the worst of women did it. But in the spirit of abandonment, an act of abandonment, she undoes her hair, and she starts to use her hair as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet. And then she begins to kiss his feet. And then she takes, and, and Israelite women, Jewish women in those days, almost always wore a small vial of perfume around their neck. So much so that the rabbis had to figure out, all right, if, if, is wearing a vial around your neck work on the Sabbath, right? And so they actually had a rabbinic law to say, it, you know, you're not violating the law when it says to keep the Sabbath holy, no work should do. It, it, it's not worked to, to wear around your vial, right, of perfume. So almost every woman had one, and so she breaks this open and pours it on Jesus' feet. And it, she does for him... All the things that Simon as the host should have done, right? And Jesus uses it. So when Simon's looking at it, he says, you know, if he knew this woman, who this woman is, he would say, get out of here. 
You have no place with God. I don't want you touching me. I don't even want you in the same zip code with me because, you know, you're, you're going to stain me. And so Jesus says, you know, <clears throat> as smart as he is, divine and human, he said, teaching moment. Teaching moment. So let's have a story. So he, he tells a short little parable. He says, all right, there's a guy who's a money lender, right? He's a creditor. And he's, and he's loaned money to two different people. One guy owes 50 denarii. One guy owes 500. 50 denarii is about a day's wage, right? So one guy owes 50 denarii, 50 days of work, 10 weeks, right? And the other guy owes um, 500 denarii, right? And, and so he owes two years' worth of work. So put it in some numbers for us. Let's just easy math for me. If you're making 50 grand a year, one guy owes $10,000. The other guy owes $100,000. So one guy is like, all right, I can just sell my car and pay off the debt, you know, kind of thing. And, and the other guy is like, I, I, got, I got, you know, I got nothing. You know, this is just beyond my ability. You know, the only way I can do this is go homeless. You know, take my family and go homeless. You know, and just sell my house, everything I got. So and, and, and so Jesus says the, the creditor decides to forgive them both their debt. So he says, which, which guy is going to be more impacted by that? And Simon said, well, I, I guess the guy who was forgiven the bigger debt. And Jesus says, right, you are, right? And you know, you look at verse 4, you know, you look down here, he said, um, uh, so verse 30, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, that's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little, loves little. And what you see is this principle of proportion, right? The, the more we are aware of all that we've been forgiven for, the more we're going to be in love with God, and we're going to be more confident in the grace that he's extended to us. Let me say that again. The more we are aware of all that we've been forgiven for, the more in love, the more overwhelmed, the more confident we're going to be that we can live by grace, that that is the heart and soul of the nature of God as he relates to us. Now, I want to point out something to you from this text and add a little bit of Bible, uh, uh, another Bible passage to kind of support this, but I got to tell you that the people who are at the biggest risk of not living by grace are the people in the middle of their overall goodness scale. Let me, let me use that terminology, right? This woman, by everybody's standards, she's way over on this. Oh, you're looking from the other side. So she's way over on this side, and, and she knows that when it comes to sinners, she's at the top of the heap, right? And when it comes to any kind of a righteousness scale, any kind of a goodness scale, she's at dead zero. She might even be in the negative, right? She knows she's way over. She's got nothing, Right? And so when Jesus comes along and he's talking about God welcoming sinners and being compassionate, she's ready to embrace, and she accepts that gift, and she has no problem with it at all, right? On the far end of the scale, those who are at 10, and and those who are the super righteous, right? Those guys also don't have a lot of problem with receiving God's grace. Well, why do you say that? You know, when, when Paul's writing to Timothy at the very end of his life, he's, he's offering Timothy some life lessons on how to be, you know, a leader and that kind of stuff. Paul knows his time on the planet is fading. He's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And he says, this is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. 
And then Paul says, guess what? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the worst of those. The closer you get to God, the more of God you can see, the more of sin you can see in yourself. And, and you're just overwhelmed with the grace that God has given you. It's the people in the middle, the good ones, who have a hard time. You know, I, I, you know, I, I owe 50 denarii, right? It's not a lot, you know. It's, it's nice, I'm glad he forgave it, but it's not life-changing. And it's, and it's just not a big deal. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's and, and guess what? That's mostly you and me, right? We're, we're, not, we're not MS-13 gang members, you know, we're not the guys who are running around London, sadly now, in gangs that are just, just randomly slicing people to death, stabbing people to death, and et cetera. We're not those guys. You know, and, and, and really, we're not monastery-type people on this end either, right? You know, we're not just... So we're in the middle, right? We're good people. You know, we're, we're, you know, whether we go to church or connect with God or do anything, people say, you know, they're good neighbors. I like them. They're caring. We're good employees. You're responsible. And we're people in the middle. And it's, we are the people who have the hardest time appreciating what it is that God has done for us in Christ. And this, to me, is why it's so incredibly important for us individually and as a church and as our culture to be very careful about not taking that which has become common in our world and accepting it as being okay when God in his word says it's not. You know, it's a toughy thing. Because what we do is we say, well, sin isn't really sin anymore. Whether it's related to the language that we use or, you know, whether we, how we give. You know, nobody ties anymore. Nobody can afford to do that anymore. And so it's just common. We just kind of accept it. Whether it's with our sexuality or our business ethics, the list just goes on and on. And there's a lot of it just, well, you know, that's just, that's just kind of the way it is now. And of course it is the way. I mean, that's, it's normative because all have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. So if everybody's doing it, it's certainly it's normal. But when you and I start accepting it as it's not really any big deal before God anymore, whether it's our self-sufficiency and our pride or our lack of forgiveness and the list can just go on and on. When, when you and I just say, yeah, yeah, it's just then we find ourselves in the middle. And we find ourselves living, trying to do our lives by our effort instead of by, by God's grace. Does that make any sense? You see that coming out of the text? And so Jesus, this woman, she, she understands she's got nothing to offer God, right? And Jesus has welcomed her back in, accepted her ministry, connected with her in this experience. And she is so overwhelmed. And Jesus says, you know what? Now you're ready to go in peace. Now you're ready to go and live in peace. And, and i got to tell you, one of the keys for you and I to really begin to live our lives by grace is to be deeply conscious of how much we have to be forgiven for. And that's counterintuitive, but that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's when you and I stand at the feet of Jesus, bawling our eyes out, washing his feet with our own hair, kissing his feet and anointing it with oil, that we're in a position to live our lives by grace. Now listen, this doesn't mean I want you to go out and think, you know, I'm just, you know, here are the cockroaches and I'm a little bit down below. This isn't a thing about self-worth because God has loved us enough, cares about us enough, values us enough, has made us, that we are absolutely priceless in his eyes. That doesn't mean that you and I are okay. 
We are in desperate need of a Savior. And with a way for you and I to start this journey of living our lives by grace is to be overwhelmed by how much we need to be forgiven for. And then to know that God has forgiven us for it. So just a couple of thoughts I want to share related to this. It, it, it is, you know, one of the things that struck me is, and many of you will probably nod your heads in agreement, but the idea of confession in our spiritual journey is almost totally missing for most of us, if not all of us. Right? We, 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 when we think about our prayer lives, we think about a church life, we think about our small groups, we think of all kinds of stuff, there, there, we probably spend virtually no time at all confessing our sin to God. Right? And, and, and with that, we are setting ourselves up for spiritual failure when it comes to living by grace. It's not that we're supposed to have this beat ourselves up party, but in this, in this invitation like the psalmist to say, God, search me. Try me, test me, see if there's any wicked way in me to bring it to the light so then we can confess it and God can remove it as far as the east is from the west and it's not ours anymore. We're overwhelmed by how far the east is from by the west and we we live with this confidence by God's grace. There needs to be a place for confession in our journey. The the soul searching of God looking in and saying, this this isn't right in my eyes. You've got to change it. And I'll help you change it because I've forgiven it. It doesn't have to be a part of it anymore. Here's the other thing, too, is that I think you and I really need to appreciate the magnitude or the certainty of the forgiveness of God. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. (laughs) At least this works for me, right? That I think sometimes we think about God's forgiveness a lot like our own experiences, right? I, I can remember when I was a kid. I was racking my brain the last couple of days to think of a moment like this. I can remember when I was a kid. I was probably like nine, ten years old. And it was one of those moments. I don't know what was going on or whatever. But, but I, was, I was on a bicycle with my brother, and I was in the back, and he was riding. I, you know, I had my own bike. I don't know why I was on the back of his or whatever. We were headed up the street to a friend's house, right? And so he's like 11 or 12. I'm like 9 or 10. He's pedaling away. And you, know, and, and you know how when you're a kid, you love to do the no hands thing and show how far you could go? Well, I'm on the back, and he's doing that, right? And I don't know what possessed me, but I reached out, and I grabbed his hands, right, his arms. And, and, and then the bike started to go. And then went, right? And I still had a hold of his arms, at least long enough that he couldn't get his arms out in front of him before he hit the ground. Face first, right into the pavement. He had the worst bloody lip I've ever seen on my tongue. Just like no upper lip at all, just totally gone, right? You know? And, you know, and, and, and I don't know why I did it. You know, it was, now, yesterday I figured out why I didn't know why I did it, because I was too young to know what I was doing, right? The, the certain parts of my brain hadn't grown enough, you know? So that kind of idea. And, and so... There's some deep appreciation for your sin right there. Just blaming on something else, right? You know? And, and, and I remember saying to my brother, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You get home. He's got ice packs on, all kind of stuff. It looks awful for a week. And, you know, so I'm sorry. He said, all right, it's, it's okay. I forgive you. And you think, you know, that's just a feeling in the moment. And that could change next week, right? You know, it's just, it's just kind of like, you know, this kind of iffy, soft kind of thing. I got to tell you, that's not God's forgiveness at all. The whole thing about the cross, 
Right? You know, the scripture says, you know, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It says that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, you know. And, 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 and it says that, you know, that, that God has stepped in and he has actually done this for us. He took him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, and made, didn't say he was sin, said he made him sin. It was an action. It was something really happened. So let me give you a comparison event. Some of you know um, that Christina and I have had the privilege of kind of supporting and encouraging a Rwandan student who's been here, Arthur. Many of you have met him. And, and when Arthur graduated from college um, last May, you know, we, he, you know, he paid his way through school, working 30 hours a week, paying everything he could, living with people around the campus it, instead of living in the dorm, doing work for them. He, I mean, he just really worked. But he got up to the end, and it was within a month of graduation, and he still owed like $7,000. And he was able to come up with a little bit more himself from a couple places. I was able to reach out to a few folks. We paid it up. But when the day came, he still owed like $3,000. So on Saturday, they let him walk in his graduation. Right? They said, usually we don't let anybody over. To- I went down and met with the financial office and that kind of stuff. So we usually we don't let anybody walk in, in, our, in our graduation ceremonies if they owe more than $2,000. But given the circumstances and et cetera, we're going to let him participate. So when he graduates on Saturday, he still owes, he doesn't really have a degree yet, right? Because he hasn't paid for it, right? On Monday, somebody walked into the finance office and paid the rest of his bill. Right? I don't know who that was, and it wasn't me. So, and, and so his debt is removed. And it's not like the college could say a week later, yeah, you know, we're not going to really count that payment against your 3000 so we're going to send you another bill. I mean, the bill's paid, right? It's gone. That's what God's forgiveness is like. It's, it's paid. It's gone. It's not just some feeling God had, and that feeling might change. This is something that God has actually done in human history. It's an event. It's been accomplished. It's been earned. It's available. And when you and I... It's respond to God's activity by faith. It's applied to our lives. And that's when grace happens. So having a deep appreciation for our sense of sin and knowing, experience, believing, accepting, receiving by faith God's forgiveness puts us in a place to go in peace. And Jesus doesn't want us ever to forget that. That's why we have fancy little silver plates that are out today. Because he wants us to remember that his forgiveness for the enormity of our sin is a real, live deal that happened. It's not just some whimsical, mythical idea that makes people feel a little bit better. But this is a debt that's been paid in real time, in the real world, and it applies to us. And that's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. So as we come to the table today, I I, want to invite you to spend some time just letting God search your heart, recognizing your sin, and then just privately, you know, just, just like Simon was talking to himself, have a quiet prayer with God and confess your sin to God. And then as we take the elements... It'll be a reminder to us that as we reach out to God in faith, if we, if, you know, those who call upon in the name of the Lord will be saved. As we call out to God for our salvation, 
we can experience the depth of that forgiveness. Let's let this do this. Let's just pray for just a minute. God, in these moments, we are grateful, maybe a little bit of trepidation, but grateful that we have these frequent reminders of why Jesus had to die. And that's because of what we've done. What everyone on the planet from the beginning to now has always done. But God, we are grateful for the certainty of the, of the forgiveness that's available to us. God, as we come to your table today, it is a plea from us to go in peace. To be able to feel our sin, look into the eyes of Jesus, as, as if you would, and hear him say to us, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. So God, lead us through those moments as we confess our sin to you. I invite you just to pray silently for a moment. Sue, you can already come and begin to pray, uh, to play for us. Those who are going to help serve, I invite you to go ahead and take your places in the back when we're ready in just a moment.